So the reading today is uh, John chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. You heard that song before? It's great, isn't it? My daughter would be horrified that I'm playing a song to a crowd of people that was 18 months old. She's 11, so her finger is well and truly on the pulse. Um, 
I love that song and I hate that song. I love it because it just reminds me that some things in life are really important, aren't they? Those relationships he's got. I hate it because it reminds me of two things that well, we try to avoid over and over again. First one, life just whizzes by, doesn't it? There he was, he was seven years old. 11, 20, 30, tick, tock, tick, tock, 60. And then that chilling line, my dad got 61. He got 61, will I? And then the song ends. Just whizzes by, doesn't it? Life whizzes by and we hate thinking about that, so we don't think about that. The second uncomfortable thing that the song puts its finger on that I just don't love is, well, I can't put it into words, but you know what it is. That longing you have, that feeling you have that, well, stuff's good, but stuff's not everything, and there's something, it is missing, isn't it? There's more that you want, a longing that you've had something, you've experienced something, it's finished, and you just feel flat and empty and down, and you want more, you want peace, you want satisfaction, and we're thirsty. We're absolutely thirsty for more of it, but we don't quite know what it is. And Lucas, Lucas Graham, he, well, he tries to put his finger on it, or his mum starts to, and she says, friends, Lucas, friends, that's the answer. Get friends, then you won't be lonely, and well, he gets friends, and then his friends say to him, it's not friends, it's smoking herb, it's drinking burning liquor, we've got no money, it's about getting a steady income, about getting money, and then his dad wades in, and he's like, no, 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 son. It's not that, it's a wife. Get a wife, she'll make you happy, she's the answer, she'll fill that hole, she'll fill that longing, she'll bring that peace and joy and satisfaction you're looking after her, and it doesn't. And then it, there's this moment where he sort of hits himself in the head and he says, what have I been doing? I've been listening to other people. All along, he says, I've always had this dream. What am I doing listening to other people's dreams? Their answer for it. I've known what it is. And he goes for it. He goes for it and he says, glory. That's what I want. Glory. I want my story told. I want people to know me. He wants fame. He wants money. And fair play to the boy. He did it, didn't he? You now know the name Lucas Graham. You've now seen him topless. You're in like a, well, not that an exclusive crowd, but you know who he is. You've heard his song, but the song moves on. That was in his 20s. Soon I'll be 30 years old. And what happens at that point? You see him with his book and he rips a page out and he lobs it away and then, then he gets the book and he chucks that away. And then the next scene, you see that bit of paper and it catches fire. It goes. That song that he's been writing, that thing that he thought would be it, wasn't it? Soon I'll be... 60, 61, and the end of the song just is depressing. He thought that was it. But at the end of the song, he's saying, maybe that's it, maybe that's it, maybe that's it. And I don't know where you are in your story. Maybe you're at the beginning of your story, and you're just writing it now, and you think, that's it. That is it. That is going to, when I get that, then I'll be dot, dot, dot. Maybe you're there. In reality, it's nothing to do with that out there. When I'm dot, dot, dot then I'll be satisfied. Maybe that's where you are and you're at the beginning of your story. Well, go for it and maybe your experience will be like Lucas and listen up. Maybe you'll be on that. Maybe actually you've hit 30, maybe a bit more and the thing that you thought would be it, you've now got it and you've now realised it wasn't it, so you're now looking for another it. 
It's called a midlife crisis. And you see people going for different hits at a rapid pace. And they keep going for them at a rapid pace because, well, that one didn't work, that one didn't work, that one didn't work. But maybe your story is a bit different. And uh, early on, you realize life dealt you a bad set of cards. And you think that's it, but actually, your start in life, you're never going to get it. So you spend your life redecorating over and over again because, well, that's a bit of change. That makes you feel a bit happier. Maybe you move your sofas around because it's different, isn't it? It's quite fun. Maybe there's truth in that. Maybe, um, maybe you numb yourself to it. You know you're never going to get it. So social media, drink, partying, that's the thing that you want to crowd out the lack of having it. Well, wherever you are in your story, we meet a woman who is just where we are. She's just where we are, and she wants it, and we see in this story her finding it. She finds it, and it turns her life upside down. She goes from this woman wanting more to getting it. She found it. And for me, I found it 20 years ago, and it changed her life, and it's changed my life. And unlike Lucas, she's not thinking, maybe this is it, maybe this is it, maybe this is it. She knows what it is. In the passage, we see that she knows what it is, and for her, it's men. Or not men, not lots of them. One man in particular, Mr. Wright. And have a look at verse 18. Have a look at that with me. She's been going for it. Jesus is talking to her. The fact is, you have had one, two, three, four, five husbands. She went for it. And now she's not with husband number five. She's with man number six. The marriage stuff, she's put to one side because she's desperate to find the Mr. Right, the man who's going to satisfy her. And this longing for a man, she knows a man's it. So she doesn't care what people think about her. She ends up being a woman that the community shuns and doesn't hang out with, doesn't want to be with her. That's what's going on in verse 6. Here she is. She meets Jesus at a well. What time is she there? Verse 6, she goes to the well at noon, the middle of the day, 12 o'clock in a desert. Now, I've been lucky enough to go to Arica. It's the driest place in the world. It's at the top of Chile. Hasn't rained for over 40 years. I went in the winter, and it was horrific absolutely awful. At lunchtime, all you want is an ice cream in an air-conditioned place, and the walk just to get to the ice cream place is awful. Here is a woman in a much hotter place, and what's she doing? She's not getting an ice cream. She is doing hard manual labour. She has to go there with a bucket, drop the bucket in the well, pull the bucket out, and then carry it to wherever she's going. Maybe she needs to do that more than once, but more than that, the well is more than that. It's more than the place where you go to get water. The well back then was like Starbucks nowadays, or for a trendy group of people here, like, um, I don't know, the living room coffee or Costa coffee, whatever you go for. That is what a well was back then. A well was like a social hub. Yes, you got water there, but it took a long time, so you'd go in the morning, go in the evening, hang out and mix and gossip and chat. Why isn't she there in the morning with everyone else? She's on the outside, shunned by everyone, ostracized, can't go near them because they want nothing to do with her. But here she is, and she's in the well, middle of the day, and someone else is there. It's a man, and he says, verse 7, have a look at verse 7, he says, will you give me a drink? 
What's he saying? He's saying, let's have a coffee. He's saying, let's have a chat. I accept you. I want to know you. I want a relationship with you. And she is absolutely taken aback. Verse 9, a coffee with me, or in her words, the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Now, Jesus was breaking all sorts of social barriers here. Now, Jewish people wouldn't even be in Samaria. Now, the land where Jews live, Israel, um, to one side you had Judea. Jesus' first three was on a journey. He was going from Judea to Galilee on the other side of where uh, Jewish people lived. And to get there, you had to go through this middle bit called Samaria. Now, the people that lived there, well, they were sort of Jews. They used to be Jews, but they now worship God in a different way. They were like a cult and all the Jewish people basically hated them and most Jews, if they were going from Judea uh, to Galilee, they would go around. They would take three extra days walking in the baking sun to avoid going near them. Why? They absolutely hated them. But here's Jesus. He does what other Jews didn't. He walked through the middle and here's Jesus. He did what Samaritans wouldn't do, talking to this woman. He goes to a rejected people and meets a rejected woman and he stuns her by saying, fancy a coffee. She says, are you joking? He says, verse 10, no joke. No joke. If you knew who I was and what I offer you, you would bite my hand off for it. Or verse 10 in his own words, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. What's he saying? I'm giving you what you're looking for. I can quench your thirst. I'm the answer. And she looks him up and down. And I love her response. She looks at him. She looks around him. And she says, you don't even have a bucket. You don't have a cup. How are you going to get water? Now, Jesus wasn't saying that. He wasn't going on about that. Now, sweetly, he speaks into her confusion. Verse 13, he says... Everyone that drinks on this water will be thirsty again. He's pointing at the well, I'm sure. Everyone that drinks on this water is going to be thirsty again. You come, you get your water, you drink it. What happens the next day? You're thirsty again. So you come back, you get it, you drink it, you're thirsty again, over and over again. A bit later, he moves on talking about her, about her husband. She's saying the situation's the same there. You come back and back and back to this well. It doesn't quench your thirst. You come back and back and back to these men. They don't quench your thirst. This isn't the answer. They're not the answer. I'm the answer. Verse 14. Have a look at it. Verse 14. But whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in them a spring of water welling to eternal life. Do you see what Jesus is offering? It. He's offering the thing that we all crave. He's offering the thing that satisfies, that brings peace. Verse 14, whoever, whoever, even this rejected Samaritan woman, everyone's against her, everyone rejects her, whoever. I don't know many people in this room, but whatever you've done, who you are, however far you feel from people, Jesus is offering this to you. Whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst again. I'm offering it to you. Life that makes sense, life that brings joy, life that brings peace, life that's satisfied, 
I am giving it to you. Verse 14 again. Whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, the question she has, and the question we should have is, what is this water? Where do I get this water from? What will it do for me? Now, I think her response really shows us the answer. Now, awkwardly, Jesus has been talking about her sexual history. Probably wouldn't go down well in this room, definitely didn't go down well there. And uh, you could look at verse 19 and think, she's um, changing the subject. Here she is. Oh, you know about my sex life? Um, I can see you're a man of God, clearly, because you know things like that about me. And then it's almost like she goes, um, let's talk about where I should go to church. Lots of chat about mountains and do I worship God on this mountain, that mountain? What do I do? How do I do it? I don't think she's changing the subject. I think she's putting two and two together and she has got it. She's worked out what's going on here. Here she is, she's met Jesus and he says, I'm the answer. I'm the answer, I can give you what you're looking for. And she realises that, yeah, he's clearly a man of God. And she starts remembering her Sunday school lessons and putting things together. She remembers the stories about how the world's a mess and how God promised that he would send his Messiah into the world to fix the mess, to bring peace inside, to bring peace in the world, to bring peace between people and God. She remembers that Sunday school said something about that's to do with the Messiah, the Christ, and she says, I know that he's coming and he'll do it one day, and well, he'll come, and when he comes, he'll make it simple and explain it to us in ways that we can understand. And Jesus says, verse 26, Kui, hello love, it's me. Or, I am he, he says. And you're right. You're right. The Bible says all of us. We push God out of our lives. We walk through lives without him involved in it at all. And the Bible says that's why we're thirsty. We were made to live with God right at the centre in our lives. We were made to live walking through life with God. And the fact we push him to one side has consequences. The consequences are, well... This feeling we have, this feeling of wanting more. Well, of course we want more because we're pushing the thing out of our lives that gives us the more. It has consequences beyond our life too. The Bible says sin is rejecting God, pushing him out, pushing him to one side. And the Bible says that has big consequences. That's where death comes from. That's what hell is all about. But Jesus came into this world to fix it. He came into this world to give it to you now and forever. That's why God became a man. That's why Jesus came, to deal with the consequences, to give you now what you need and forever what you want. Jesus came and he died. The Bible says I should be punished for what I do, for the way I push God out. But Jesus says I love you so much that I'll die for you to deal with those consequences. And what's the result? The thirst is over. I can make you friends with God again. I can bring you into relationship with God again. The thing that you want, the thing that you need, even though you don't think you do, that's what I'm giving you. Relationship with the one who made you. It would change your life now. It would change your eternity forever. It's all to do with him all to do do with Jesus, and he is offering it to each and every one of us.
Now, what do you do with that? I guess if you're a Christian and you feel that cycle still of what Lucas says, nothing seems to satisfy, well, stop spending so much time on your phones and doing this or that and spend a bit more time with Jesus. I guess there are lots of people here who aren't Christians and you think, I don't really believe in Jesus. I don't really think that a man can come back from the dead, let alone walk on water, let alone turn water into wine, even though that would be quite fun. Now, I was exactly there. I was exactly where you were. And I guess, here's a scratch card. I don't normally buy scratch cards. It's a unique thing for today. But if I was to give you this scratch card, you know, you know that this isn't the one million pound winning scratch card. You know that, don't you? But if I was to give this to you, you wouldn't throw it away, would you? Because you're not 100% sure, are you? What you'll do is you'll say, oh, thanks, Matt. But when you get home, or let's be more realistic, on the tube, you would be scratching away and you would be thinking, oh, there's a million pounds. But we all know there's at least one on there, don't we? You've done them before. You know that actually there's going to be two that say a million pounds. Oh, hang on. Not really. But you would scratch it, wouldn't you? Jesus says, I can give you the thing that will satisfy you now and forever. I can restore your relationship with God. The thing that you need more than anything else, I can give you. Isn't that worth scratching? Finding out when I did it, I thought it wouldn't be true. But I found out it was true. And my relationship with God is the best thing. He brings me joy and life and peace and satisfaction, just like that lady. And all I want to say is, just have a scratch. Just have a seat.